0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from bannersontheparkway.com. And now that we are through the Thanksgiving season, it's uh, our favorite stuffed little turkey, Brad. Uh, Brad,
1: how much weight did you put on this past week? Wow. Just going right to... Right to pushing the buttons. Um, I actually don't know. Uh for my own, you know, I'm big into self help and my own mental health. So I don't weigh myself right after Thanksgiving. I will say that I woke up this morning and immediately went on a run. Um, and I worked out last night and and looked in the mirror and insulted myself because I found that's the best way to really get motivated. I think self-help actually just means ways in which to hate yourself enough that you'll go work out when it's thirty-two degrees and raining
0: not what it means
1: um
0: you know there's one person i know who listens to the podcast and then messages us afterwards and he loves it when i make fun of you and that's the kind of uh positive reinforcement i need in my life so um you know shout out to neely and uh everyone else has to suffer through this now because um it means something to me when i get a compliment um uh, we also uh are joined by joel um now joel, uh, without totally derailing us how vindicated do you feel by the nicholas full crew goal yesterday
2: wow i don't know if i can respond to that without totally derailing us so i will just say that for the first time in eight years germany has rediscovered the fact that playing a striker helps you score goals
0: yeah so there you go um you could have just been like very vindicated, but um, yeah, you know, turns out that you can't just ignore one of the the one of the main positions on the the field. Um, so in action this week, Xavier went to Portland for the Phil Knight Legacy, uh, which was not the Phil Knight Invitational, which uh, took me a while to uh, understand because um, I'm not like on the uptake on these things. Um. But, uh, you know, life is a uh, life is a journey. I'm a work in progress, folks. Uh, Xavier uh, won on uh, Wednesday night, 90 to 83 over Florida. Uh, That set up a meeting on um, I'm sorry, on Thursday night that set up a meeting on Black Friday with Duke, where Xavier fell 64 to 71, which put them in the third place game against Gonzaga on Sunday night. Xavier uh, battled in that one, but ultimately came out 88 to 84 losers. Um, so just, I guess, a a quick rundown of the weekend. Um, what did we learn about this Xavier team, um, without getting into some of the questions that, uh, that we're going to have later about whether this weekend was good, bad, indifferent. Um, did we learn anything about this team?
1: I think we learned that the team needs Adam Kunkel. Um, I think we logged in.
0: Adam Kunkel. It's like a what? emotional. It's like an emotional dependence at this point for you, and
1: it's getting, it's getting concerning. I think we need to bring him back as a graduate assistant next year. But I'll get into my, that part of my plan uh, come April once our season's finally over. But Joel and I were discussing uh, before you logged in that that Duke game uh, when he hit his head, and I'll admit I initially didn't realize that is what had happened um, when he went out. I didn't see like the concussion protocol tent or anything like that, or realized um, it looks like he must've smacked the back of his head, getting knocked down. Uh, he was a spark in that game. And from there, Xavier struggled a little bit. And I think that he would have ultimately made the difference in the Gonzaga game. Um, I'm quite confident he would have found a way to take enough shots to score four points. Um, and could maybe have kept Desmond Claude from taking shots or Kiki Tandy. Um, since both of those guys came in at his position and shot the ball as frequently as he did, but didn't shoot the ball as well as he did. Um, I think, yeah, basically we learned that the team kind of needs somebody from the outside to be a foil for Sule Boom. Um, Gonzaga did well against him for a half before Boom went, uh, had a really good second half against them, but we need another guard who can score. And most of the time that's Kunkel. And I think most of the time he's not going to be working through a head injury. so will be fine, but uh, the team missed him in those last two games especially.
2: Yeah, I think uh, a couple other things we discovered about this team is that we're probably like five-ish guys deep. Um, Jerome Hunter once again looked good in self-limited action. He's still fouling almost 13 times per 40 minutes. I thought Deontay Miles did a good job defensively, but has been abject on the offensive end, and he is 0 for seven from the free throw line, which is not good because he draws a lot of fouls. Uh, I think we also kind of discovered or maybe confirmed that this is a a great team if you're a neutral to uh, to tune into um, fantastic offense. They have five guys who know how to score. They have five guys shooting better than forty five percent from behind the arc. Um, And even if you take away Zach Fremantle's one for two, you still have four guys who can fill it up from there. Uh, Three guys who have made at least 10 three-pointers, and the one trailing is Colby Jones with his nine for 14, and he was a scalding nine of 10 from deep in Portland. Uh, Good offense, horrible defense, equals fun basketball. So uh, kind of the reverse of what we've been seeing for a while, but at least it's more fun to watch even when we lose.
1: I just, I wanted to add to the uh, Deontay Miles thing is that he is already becoming one of the team's best defenders by adjusted defes- defensive efficiency, but his offensive efficiency is so bad that you just, you can't run him out there. Um, you can see when he's playing what Travis Steele saw in him when he recruited him and brought him in, but he stops just short of like fulfilling that potential. Um. He gets in great places. This sounds more like soccer analysis. He gets in great positions on the court and he's there. He just cannot finish. I mean, he's just wretched trying to put the ball into the basket, which is a shame because like Joel said, he's such a good defender. Um, he can almost stay with a one, he can certainly stay with a two, he can defend in the post, but you're essentially playing four against five on the other end. And the team knows that if he the other team knows that if he gets into dunk range, all you have to do is grab him because he won't make his free throws.
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, briefly on the Kunkel thing, when he went down, it, I thought he had pointed to his chest like he'd gotten the wind knocked out of him because uh, mm-hmm. he'd um, drawn some contact on a, a fast break. I think he was called for a block. Um, terrible call. I mean, what is the ref watch? I don't remember the play that well. Um, but the call went against us, so it was bad. Um, but, yeah, I, re- I I did not realize he'd, he'd hit his head. So, obviously, that's scary when someone's uh, got a head injury. But um, hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. Um, and, yeah, I think there was a lot to learn about this team. But I think um, the big thing I, I took away is this team – is committed to getting the ball inside more so than the previous few Xavier teams have been, which is a good thing. Um, but if they cannot finish from inside the lane, this offense is really hard to watch. Um, uh, for long stretches of that Duke game, uh, Nungi and Fremantle were really struggling to score, really, for like a 40 minute stretch of that dude game, Nungi and Fremantle were struggling to score. And um, yeah, it, it got a little sand in the gearsy there um, when they were struggling to, to put the ball in the basket. But um, looking around at the the rest of the country, um, in uh, other Big East teams, Creighton went to the final of the Maui Invitational. They weren't able to um, get the victory. They, they fell to Arizona in the final, um, but they are up to seventh in the uh, AP poll. UConn won the Phil Knight Invit- Invitational, right? Invitational. Um, Yeah, the one we weren't in. Um, They were incredibly impressive. Uh, They beat Alabama pretty handily. Um, They are looking like a a really, really strong team so far this season. Um, And Adama Sonogo was was outstanding this past week. So they are up to eighth in the AP poll. Uh, Villanova is two and five now. They lost to Portland. Um, They are looking like... Uh, a different program under Kyle Neptune than they were Jay Wright. I know several of us said we thought Kyle Neptune would struggle in his first season. Um, When I said that, I did not mean I thought they would lose to Portland um, and start the season two and five, but um, that's where they are, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see if Villanova can turn that around, and if you know if Kyle Neptune can get that program um at least resembling where where Jay Wright got it or um or if they're going to go the Georgetown route so um i guess as we kind of contextualize what we saw this week Xavier obviously played three um pretty major programs florida uh is going through a coaching transition of their own from Mike White to Todd Golden, um, as is Duke, but, um, Florida, Duke and Gonzaga are huge brands in college basketball and Xavier was toe to toe with all of them this week. So, um, did this week help Xavier or really kind of show anything as far as going forward? Um, Joel, I think you had some, some research that you did on this because Xavier, uh, metrically looked very good this week from a resume standpoint, maybe not so much.
2: Yeah, so um, there's a couple ways to answer this question in terms of whether this helped Xavier and uh, what it showed. I'm going to take it from a very like cut-and-dried tournament resume standpoint, and uh, no, it did not. If you throw in the Indiana game, it's a little little one-and-three stretch for, for X. Um, people will point out that those are all uh, top 10-ish quality teams. I think they're all in the top 15 of the Torvik rankings and hanging around somewhere uh, similar to that in the Ken uh, So those are three excellent teams that Xavier lost to, but they are losses. And uh, losses, I don't know if we could be any more clear about this than we were on Twitter. Losses are not as good as wins. Um, losses against good teams are not as good as beating good teams and the committee by and large does not give you credit just for being in those games. Uh, I just looked back over the past five years 2020 um, gave me no data on tournament entries because there was no tournament that year but you assume like a top 40 Ken Palm team is going to be in the running for uh, at-large consideration. So I just looked at top 40 teams um, in the Ken Palm and then where they did uh, in terms of uh, quad one and quad two games. So uh, last year, Texas A&M and Oklahoma University were uh, 30 and 33, I believe, but both top 40 teams that missed out. A&M was five and 11 against Q1 and six and 0 against Q2. Uh, OU was five and 12 and seven and three. In 2021, Memphis was 31st in the Ken Palm and uh, one and four in Q1 and seven and three in Q2. Uh, 2020 obviously was a punt. 2019, Texas went five and 10 in Q1 and four and five in Q2. Clemson won a a ghastly one and 10 in Q1, six and three in Q2. Still managed to finish in the the top 40 of the Ken Palm. And Texas Christian was 40th of that year. Uh, They went three and nine and six and four. And then 2018 was a, a bloodbath for teams with uh, top 40 metrics not getting in. Penn State finished 19th in the Ken Palm. They were 3 and 8 in uh, Q1, 2 and 2 in Q2, and did not make the tournament. Uh, Saint Mary's was 2 and 1 and 2 and 2. Baylor was 4 and 12 and 3 and 1. Notre Dame was 2 and 9 and 5 and 2, and Louisville. Was three and 10, including 0 and 9 in Q1A games, uh, the top of the top, and two and three in Q2, and they still didn't make it. So um, just looking at this, obviously it's not a lead pipe lock that having good Kempom numbers gets you in, but uh, with the exception of, of Memphis and St. Mary's, these are all teams who are in very similar situations to the one Xavier's in this year, in which they're uh, power conference teams, they're going to have plenty of chances to be in those games. And, uh, you know, they didn't get it done enough for the committee to to rate them and put them in. So um, I think, and we'll, we'll dig deeper into uh, what this means exactly about Xavier, but I think that they showed uh, that they're a good team. But uh, in terms of tournament inclusion, you have to get good results. And if you don't get good results, um, close games don't help at all. I think Xavier is like 340-something in Ken Palm's luck rating right now, uh, which, again, just speaks to the fact that they're a a good team whose results don't line up. But at some point in time, if your results never line up, that doesn't help you with the committee. Uh, The good news here is uh, Bart Torvik projects what – teams are going to do the rest of the way. He projects Xavier to go three and eight in Q1 games and five and three in Q2 games, which doesn't sound like meaningfully better than, uh, than a or OU or any other of the teams we listed went. But uh, you can also look at the 10 most similar resumes um, in terms of Q, uh, you know, quad wins and then uh, Torvik also weights the net and the lab and, uh, his own Torvik ranking and a couple other of those things to get a similarity score for the resumes and of the top 10 most similar resumes to what Xavier projects out as, um, one was a seven seed, two were eight seeds, four were nine seeds, two were 10 seeds, one was an 11 seed and none of them missed the tournament. So Xavier, um, didn't help their resume this week, but, uh, they certainly helped their metrics. And I think, uh, just at least from my perspective, uh, gave us a better idea of what they are and how good they can be. And they'll have every chance to play themselves into the tournament uh, coming up. So uh, it was less about shooting themselves in the foot than it was just not taking advantage of opportunities they were given. Um, But the good news is more opportunities are ahead and they played like a team that will start taking
0: advantage of those. So with... um kind of that backdrop of you know teams that are metric darlings not necessarily having the results to merit tournament inclusion or like Texas A&M last year having the results to merit tournament inclusion but not being Notre Dame so you're not in um right because you know if Syracuse has like a Q1 win they'll they'll get in (laughs) Uh, anyway, can losses ever help the resume? We kind of had a question from, uh, never take L's who that is an idea right there, man. Uh, (laughs) if you never take L's, uh, you don't have to worry about if losses hurt your resume. Um, but can losses ever help the resume, Brad?
1: Um, no, a loss never, ever (laughs) under any circumstances, no matter how close it is and no matter who it's to helps your resume. Um, I think Joel just explained really well how losses can impact your metric numbers. Um, the metrics will like teams that play a tougher schedule and play that schedule well. So Xavier can do something like play Gonzaga and Duke in back-to-back games and not really have their um, Ken Palm number move very much at all. Even though those are both losses, um, the ranking and even their adjusted efficiency is not going to move too much because they're losses to good teams. But like Joel just said, being a metrics darling doesn't have a, doesn't guarantee you a spot in the tournament. And that comes down to resume. And a lot of that comes down to net. And the first thing that net takes a look at is results in games. So I feel like we need to say this again, just in case there's anyone out there wondering losing, a game. It's not as good as winning it. So when the game starts and there's 40 minutes left on the clock, the ideal thing is that when those 40 minutes have run off, your team has more points than the other team. And that is better than if it's the other way around, no matter who it is that you're playing. So Xavier, just to really boil that down to its simplest point in terms of resume, in terms of what the selection committee is going to look at, in terms of what the net cares about and everything like that. Beating Montana is better than losing to Duke. So beating Montana in a 22-point boat racing is better than losing a four-point game to a very good Gonzaga team in terms of your resume. That loss will not help your resume. It may help your metric numbers stay well, and those metric numbers are part of the resume, but they don't add up to enough to overweigh the fact That it's a loss So a close loss against a good team Is still a loss Um, You know That was part of what was going on with the RPIs That people could game it By either playing just a whole bunch of trashy teams And hammering them all the time Or playing a whole bunch of really good teams And never winning but playing them all close And they could game the system Into thinking that they were much better Or or much worse than they were What the net takes into account When it initially started was game result, strength of schedule, location, scoring margin, and then the efficiencies and qualities of wins and losses. Well, they've chopped out um, the opponent's winning percentage, adjusted winning percentage, and scoring margin. Now it just considers opponent strength and sight, uh, the difficulty score of the game, and the results. So what the net is looking for is your result. Not so much who you played as much. That factors in, but that comes in in the metrics later. So, The committee wants to see wins. A close loss does not help your resume, ever, not ever, ever. Um, Bleacher Report actually went in depth with the committee a couple years back, and they pointed out that BYU hadn't lost by more than seven points in the entire season and that several of their losses went into overtime. And a member of the selection committee, who couldn't be named because that's how they did things, says what you just said would never actually be discussed. So that does not come up. You know, no one is going to point at Xavier. Should they be right on the bubble with somebody else at the end of the year and say, well, Xavier only lost to Gonzaga by four. That's not going to factor in the close losses are not good. There's no such thing as a good loss. Um, We need to get that idiotic notion out of the head of this fan base. There's, there are no good losses. You either win or you lose. And if you lose, it's bad. We went one in three, a one in three stretch is bad. There's no way that's good. Um, In terms of resume, you can look at it and say, hey, we played these teams really well. Um, this team really looks like if we have a slightly crazy uh, white guy from Kentucky out there, maybe we could win these games and knock off a Duke or a Gonzaga. And that may be true. And you could certainly say, hey, this augers well for the rest of the season because this team looks like it could be good. But in terms of resume, that one and three stretch was bad. So I just hey, want to um... be super clear, losing is bad.
2: So Sule Boom had kind of like a half-court heave at the end of the Gonzaga game that just caught all of the rim and rattled out. Uh, if that goes in and we lose by one instead of four, would that have changed anything?
1: No, because the interesting thing about that is we still would have lost. And whether we had lost by 86, because we only scored two points all game, or we lost by one because Sule Boom rattled that in at the end of the game, the net will look at that and the committee will look at it at the end of the year and see loss scoring margin doesn't factor in the great question though great question
2: uh, gotcha thanks for clarifying um I think you talked about gaming the rpi one of the things that uh we talked about with mario mercurio back when we were first started this site and i still worked first first shift hours um was when they were scheduling his goal was to schedule teams that would win bad conferences because uh, they'd go like six and six in the uh, non-con and buy you know play a bunch of buy games and then they'd reel off a bunch of wins in their uh, their conference schedule. So they'd end up with like a 750 winning percentage. And the RPI would be like, oh, my gosh, Xavier beat this team with a 750 winning percentage. That's super good. Uh, skyrocket their numbers. And like you said, um, our understanding of metrics has gotten a little, bit, uh, a little bit better. And you just can't do those things uh, the way you used to. And I think one of the things that is really uh, – helped out as kind of a shorthand for what the the committee looks at is the wins above bubble metric um so uh you basically just accumulate wins as compared to uh what the average bubble would team would do and the bubble is generally placed around like uh 45 in whatever given metric and then teams with a positive number are way more likely to uh Receive an at large bid than teams with a negative number. And basically, the two ways you boost your wins above bubble metric are to win a few tough games or to win a whole bunch of, of not good games. So, you know, if you go 25 and 0 against Q3 and Q4, you slowly compile a whole bunch of wins above bubble. Or if you go like 7 and 5 in Q1, you compile a decent wins above bubble t- number. But again, um, going 1 and 3 in Q1, but playing them all really tight does not help that metric either, because they're losses.
1: Which is why Xavier has a negative wins above bubble right now, because no matter how you want to spin it, our resume currently is bad.
2: Yeah, I'm going to start working on a losses above bubble um, metric, where it shows how much a bubble team would have lost by, and how much better you were in the a case that way. But I don't think the <laughs> committee's going to discuss that either.
0: All right, so um, <clears throat> for our listeners, you're you're sitting there, you're probably awash in a sea of emotions and uh, analysis. Um, there were a lot of numbers just thrown at you. And, um, you know, it's dizzying. It, it can be dizzying. So here comes Brad, um, the overbearing arbiter of how everyone should feel, um, to tell you, how we should all feel about this team. Go ahead, Brad. Um, The rest of us can't handle our feelings.
1: Uh, Help us out. Honestly, despite everything I just said about um, how close losses are just losses and all that, that's all resume and that's all talking about the numbers that are going to matter in March. I think that you can look at this team and look at the last four games they played and see a team that. Can play deep into the tournament. Um, They're losing to Gonzaga by four in terms of resume is no help at all. On the other hand, if if you lose to Gonzaga by four without one of your best players on a neutral court, I think you can make an argument that you can beat a top ten Gonzaga team on a neutral court. If you can make an argument that you can beat a top ten Gonzaga team on a neutral court, who are you going to make an argument that you can't beat? Purdue obviously is the answer to that question. But other than Purdue, right now. Um, you can see, you know, Texas, Houston, there's some tough teams out there, but Xavier can punch with anybody. Um, they can't quite finish the games off, which is a little bit concerning. Um, that Indiana game should have been a win, frankly. I, uh, you know, the Duke game, Duke got the Duke whistle. I think we were kind of all anticipating that. And against Gonzaga, he, I, That last four minutes, man, Gonzaga just got red hot. At some point in time, Byron Larkin said, at some point in time, you just have to tip your cap. And I think kind of when some dude makes about 60 feet worth of three-pointers on back-to-back possessions and that evaporates your entire lead, you have to just be like, huh, not a lot. I mean, you're not going to guard somebody 30 feet away from the bucket is not usually a way to play effective defense. Though, frankly, this team is yet to figure out a way to play effective defense. But I'm digressing. I think that you could come out of this weekend um, both carrying those extra pounds that Brian talked about and carrying some optimism uh, that this Xavier team can be really, really good. Uh, we'll get into questions about their depth later that some people had, but there's the skeleton, the bones, even more than that, of a very, very good team in there. Uh, it, you know, you're not going to look at the draw come March and hopefully Xavier can actually get something that on their resume that'll put them in it and see a team coming up in the Sweet 16 and be like, oh, we're just not going to beat that team, unless it's Purdue. But, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful coming out of this this tournament. I think a lot of that goes down to the fact this team just will continue to fight. I thought they were going to get rolled early against Gonzaga. I mean, that got off to an ugly start, and I was listening to it, and there's a moment when we were down 13 when I was contemplating for my own mental health just shutting it off. And following along with our Twitter feed. Um, But the team kept fighting. And, you know, same thing they did against Indiana. Scrap back into it against Duke. They never quite got up the mountain. But I think there's reason to be excited here. You just got to get the stuff on the resume that gets you in a position to be in the tournament. But once you're in the tournament with this team, and I think that they'll continue to get better. I think they can make some noise. I'm despite everything that I've said to this point, I'm I'm more optimistic coming out of this weekend than I was going into it.
2: Yeah, I'll just say that uh, we're a team heavily dependent on its top five. And like you said, I think our top five can punch with anyone. And I think we demonstrated that uh, I think uh, Miller does enough to manage the the top five uh, with what little depth we do have, that I'm not, you know, I'm not super concerned that we're going to see them bonk and just completely run out of gas at the end of a game. I think, uh, you know, Gonzaga put on a, a burst, but those two monster threes by Strother, I think, changed the momentum and complexion of that game. Um, so there are there are certainly things to work on, I think. Uh, Ball security on offense and maybe coming out of halftime right when the second half starts instead of at the first media timeout are the two things that I would target. But, uh, you know, this could have been, you know, resume wise, it could hardly gone more poorly out there. But certainly from a projection standpoint where you see this team going, there's a lot to like about what we've seen in the last week or so. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah.
0: I think. I think honestly, watching. I mean, Florida. The Florida game was was by far Xavier's best win of the season. Um, you know, no disrespect to Montana or Fairfield or the other team, <laughs> Morgan State. Um, but seeing Xavier knock off a a high major team and get that win, I think was really good to show that they can beat a team that has aspirations of of playing in March. Um, well, Florida played last year too, playing meaningful games in 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 March Madness. Um, you know, so I think that one was was more so for me than the other two where Xavier couldn't quite get it across the line um but I do I, I think that there's a lot of reason to feel optimistic about this team after watching those three games um, just because of the way they were able to play and some of the the guys that um, are still kind of um, adjusting to new roles or getting used to uh, college uh, as a whole in, in the case of Des Quad and uh, cam Craft um, you, you think that there will be some improvement there. So I, I think there's a lot of reason after this week to be positive about this team. Um, although, uh, a lot of people, uh, point out, if, you know, that I was positive about Travis Steel teams too, which I was not, not, a not going to back away from that. Um, you know, I am relentlessly positive about Xavier. What's the point if you're not, um. Maybe next week, Brad can break down what's the point of cheering for your team if you're always depressed. Anyway, um, we've got a few questions here. We opened it up for questions for the first time this year. And our, our, our listeners, or at least people who follow us on Twitter and then don't listen to us, which um, is great, too, uh, came through. So the first one is from at Southern Muskie. Um, Do you see our bench players, Uh, U.S. Out, Claude, Kraft, Miles, uh, et cetera, improving as the season moves along? So, uh, Joel, obviously, um, two of those guys are are freshmen. What do you see uh, improving as far as Xavier's bench production goes?
2: Um, I think the one guy that he didn't mention that I want to spotlight here is Jerome Hunter, because he has looked like a completely different basketball player than he did last year. Uh, Last year, he more or less lived behind the arc, was a complete absentee on the offensive glass, and did not distinguish himself in defensive statistics. This year, his block rate's way up. His O rating is 33 points higher. Uh, He has shot 12 two pointers and zero threes. He's uh, got a higher assist rate. You know, he's just doing all the things that we would hope a reserve forward would be able to do. The disappointing thing has been a catastrophic foul rate. So in 17 minutes, he picked up four against Morgan State. Nine minutes, he picked up four against Montana. Seven minutes to get three against Fairfield. Only played four minutes against Indiana and only got one, one foul uh, season low. Five minutes, two fouls against Florida. Seven minutes, one foul against Duke. But then he had a big bounce back game against Gonzaga where he picked up four in just 11 minutes of play. Uh, he's averaging 12.7 fouls per 40 minutes of play. I don't think he'll continue to do that all year. I think he is uh, readjusting to being a traditional big rather than the kind of weird stretch for who can't shoot that he was playing last year. So I think if we're going to see one guy from the bench um, make a marked step up, that would be my guess. Um, I don't see Deontay Miles being the guy just because he's so limited offensively. Even when he gets himself into good positions, he has uh, below average hands, I think. He's not a great finisher, and part of that is because um, opponents will just hang on his arms because they know if they foul him, that's just as good as a turnover. But uh, Cloud and Craft, I think, will uh, develop. I've liked a lot of what I've seen of of Cloud uh, defensively. Uh, he was a traffic cone out there early in the season. I think he's gotten better on the ball. Uh, I think he's got a good nose for it in passing lanes. Um, kind of uh, fast forwarding towards what we might see in the the conference play. I think Cam Craft is a guy who um, I'd like to see get some more minutes. I think he's earned that. I think his stroke will come, but he uh, shows a good awareness of When the stroke's not there for him, where he should get on the court to make life a little bit easier for himself. Um, He's had some, you know, early career jitters in terms of turnovers, but I think that's sharpening up. Uh, He had three in the first game, Uh, another two against Fairfield, and he's only got one in our four games since then, uh, admittedly in limited minutes, but he just looks like a guy who knows how to play, and he's looking for places to, uh, to make a difference, and I think as the season wears on, He's a guy who will, uh, will step up a little bit. So, Circle crafted Hunter for me, and a, uh, you know, a one step down. I think Des Claude has shown a lot of good things, uh, defensively, and uh, I'm worried Deontay Miles is never going to be the guy.
1: I would uh, second the Jerome Hunter thing. Uh, he did foul a lot in what was his sophomore year, though not 12 times a game, because um, that's impossible. Actually, though he seems determined to see if he can get more than five um uh, cam craft is an interesting one to me because like joel said he is very active but uh, he i don't think that the coach trusts him yet um as evidenced by the fact he really has not played in xavier's meaningful games and he just he looks a little sped up to this point um I, i really am not sure i think that Miller would prefer to see Des Claude out there more, um, has given Claude a lot more time. Claude still is turning the ball over way too much. The one guy who I'm afraid uh, just is not going to step up to the level that everybody wants is Kiki Tandy. Uh, He started out shooting the ball well, but uh, he's taken 23s now and he's only made seven of them. He's 5 of 15 inside the arc, and he just doesn't add a lot anywhere else if he's not scoring. He's a decent on-ball defender, but he gets lost in rotation frequently. Um, he's not a ball hawk on defense. Uh, his block rate has sadly dropped down to 1.4% uh, after briefly flirting with the team lead there. If Claude and Kraft end up playing well, I think Hiki Tandy slides back down towards the bottom of the bench again. Admittedly, with it being that short of a bench, I don't think that he's going to drop all the way down to Elijah Tucker territory. But he's he just hasn't demonstrated still um, that he's got what it takes to really impact the games consistently.
2: I I don't I've never met Kiki, and I don't want to be too much of an arm, armchair psychologist, but I'm gonna anyway. He plays like a confidence player who's lost all confidence. Um, I did see him smile on the court against uh, Gonzaga. That made me happy because he's not very expressive and people like to read into that. Um, We're at the point in his career. I just want to see him have a good time. But like you said, uh, man, he's got such a quick, low dribble. He can change directions really well. Uh, Has shown in streets that he can be a big time shooter, but it just looks like he gets uh, shaken. And then uh, that kind of takes him out of attack mode, such as it is. And he never really gets back into games sometimes.
1: This is going to feel like undue piling on of someone who's not here. But I feel like I defended Travis Steele enough while he was here that I'm reasonably comfortable saying that between the injuries and Travis Steele, they just ruined Kiki Tandy. Because it seemed like Steele was never willing to leave him out there and let him play through mistakes. And then, of course, Kiki did Get hurt didn't help that at all, but he needed to spend, you know, his freshman and sophomore year figuring out what he could and couldn't do on a D1 court um, at this level. And it seemed like he came out of the game when he started to mess up, and never really got that consistent time to figure out who he was. I know that part of that is Steele was trying to save his job by getting his team into the NCAA tournament, and that ended up never happening, and he didn't save his job. And now we have Kiki Tandy. Do I think the entire fan base wants to see do well. We all want to see him do well. The fact that he's stuck around, I think, just speaks volumes of him as a young man. But I just don't know that he's... He just needs somebody to throw him out there and tell him, hey, Kiki, I'm going to ride or die with whatever you bring me. And I think that, you know, at Akron up here, uh, he'd do great. You could throw him out there and let he and Freeman go out and try to control the game, but playing for Xavier. Unfortunately, they just can't leave him out there long enough that he gets comfortable uh, in games against teams like Duke and Gonzaga.
0: See, I was gonna say, I think he is a candidate for a person who will improve this season Um, because he, it seemed like his role was very nebulous every year up till now. Um, and, And again, part of that had to do with the fact that Um, he's never had a a full healthy season at Xavier. Um, part of that had to do with the fact that I, I think the coach had a quick hook with certain people and an extremely slow hook with other people, um, to put it diplomatically. Um, but I think now if Kunkel's healthy and starting Kiki knows his role. He knows what he's supposed to do when he's on the court and I think if he can settle into that, he will be productive. Um because for the first time in his career, I think he'll have a defined role and coach Miller go, you know, go out try and make some energy plays, you know, try and find your spots on offense and spell cunk and I think he will adjust and be able to uh, provide some production from there. Maybe I'm seeing things through rose colored glasses here, but I just think that having a defined role is going to help him this year and I think it'll be the first time in his career that that happened for him. Hopefully his health, you know, hopefully he stays healthy and that actually comes to fruition. Um, So I for me he's a candidate to be one of the bench players who who really improves as the season moves along. And I also agree on, on Jerome Hunter. Um, I just think he's shown that um, he wants to get out there and mix it up maybe uh, a bit too much at this point. But, um, you know, it's the Big East. You need somebody who's going to go out there and just be the toughest dude on the court. And it seems like Jerome Hunter wants that to be him. Um, and uh, you know, and so he's gonna foul you until you acknowledge it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I've seen out of him this year. Uh, so yeah, for me, I think it's Tandy and Hunter are going to improve as the season goes along, and obviously, I think freshmen as the season goes on, uh, invariably improve. But um, yeah. So we that is a, a answer to that question. Um, it's uh, all of them. I guess from, from various ones of us. Um, we have a, a two-parter here from uh, Joe at Joe C twenty four twenty four. 24. Um, one of which we already answered. Do you feel better, worse, or about the same after the tournament? I, I think we all um, would check the box for better Joe uh, for various reasons and in various ways, but um, we kind of covered that. Which bench player do you see carving out a bigger role as the season goes on? So maybe not necessarily, um, improving his production but being able to carve out a larger role for himself um so joel uh you you talked about cam craft um in that um yeah in that yeah. context. can you kind of go in in depth as to just what you see him carving out
2: yeah um you know we we've got in adam kunkel especially a guy who can play high energy, kind of high IQ basketball, and um, maybe at the two spot. I think Cam Craft can bring that slide down in in the three or the two if we're going to go with a a big lineup. And, you know, he has sneaky good uh, rebounding numbers for a guy who doesn't look like uh, he's built the way that uh, like a Colby Jones looks like. Uh, Cam gets in there and mixes it up, I think, uh, especially as we get into the the grinder of the Big East season. Like Brad said, the sped-up uh, way Cam plays the game, I think, will slow down with more minutes. And I think his willingness to uh, just kind of throw his body at the glass, uh, be all over the place on defense, and generally uh, pop up in the right spots will uh, continue to pay dividends for him in in more minutes. And I think with more minutes will come uh, more comfort shooting the ball and a higher percentage from behind the arc, which is kind of what he was known for in the recruiting uh, cycle. And, you know, like a a virtuous cycle here for Cam. I think the, the more he plays, the better he'll perform. And I think that'll lead him to more burn as we uh, get deeper in the season.
0: Okay, we got one from uh, James McShane here. Uh, what happened to Cesar Edwards? Um, Brad, I mean, we've not seen uh, we've not seen him at all in the last uh, four games, I think it is. Um, do you see him being able to carve out a spot on this team?
1: No um, I think what happened to Cesar Edwards is that he's not quite good enough to play at Xavier right now. Um, he appeared against Morgan State for five minutes. hasn't darkened the court since, as you mentioned. Last season, he essentially had one good game, maybe two, depending on how you count his five minutes against Georgetown. But, I mean, he played double-digit minutes three times. He was 4-4 in that game against Seton Hall, where I won't try to dispute that he was awesome um, and just came out and really changed things for Xavier. And one of those close losses uh, that help your resume so much. Um, But he's slow-footed on defense. He has to have a little bit of room to get his shot off on offense. And right now, um, it seems like Coach Miller's wanting to spell Jack Nungy with Deontay Miles um, as much as he can to boost the defense and then work Jerome Hunter in for the rest of the time uh, to boost uh, the amount of pain that we're causing the other team, I think, right now, and then run a smaller lineup otherwise. And given that Fremantle is not quick enough to defend or I'm sorry, Fremantle. Well, Fremantle is also not quick enough to defend a three, but since Edwards is not quick enough to defend a three, it's going to be harder for him to get out there in any sort of small lineup. He's not going to bump time off of Fremantle or Nunji. He's not going to defensively take time away from Deontay miles. And he can't rebound at least thus far in his career, uh, in the hyper aggressive way that Jerome Hunter is right now. So I just don't know what his role would be. Uh, yeah, I think that everybody liked him. Uh, he has novelty hair, which for some reason fan bases really tend to love. But he's just not quite good enough.
0: Okay. Um, got one from at Picker Fantasy. Uh, do you think the Big East's general lack of winning will make it such that X will have to play that much better in conference to have a shot at the NCAA tournament? Obviously, uh, Villanova. He's off to a rough start. Uh, Seton Hall took an L against um, Siena. Uh, I don't know anything that DePaul's done, but I'm sure they've sucked this year. Georgetown is comically bad. Butler got hammered um, on, on live television in front of God and everyone uh, by Tennessee. Um, so There are some potential landmines in the Big East this year, probably more so than in years past. Um, Saint John's uh, is receiving votes in the AP poll, though. So um, good job, Mike Anderson. Uh, you did it um, anyway. Uh, so Joel, I mean is is Xavier really going to have to make some noise here toward the end of the non-conference schedule to set themselves up well heading into Big East play?
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, if you look at what Xavier has coming uh, in the non-con, um, The southeastern Louisiana game, I think that's one we're all kind of chalking up as a dub. Uh, Same with home to southern. Um, If Xavier loses either of those two games, um, no matter how close it was, you can't make a a pitch for that being good on the resume. West Virginia has been scalding hot to start the season. And it's a home game with them. It's going to be right on the precipice of Q1 or Q2. And... Same thing with at Cincinnati, that's probably going to be a solid Q2 game, though if they keep uh, trending downward, that might end up, I don't think they'll be bad enough for that to be a Q3 road game, but um, there's certainly more likely to be a Q3 than a Q1. And then if you look ahead to the the conference, depending on what you think Villanova's true level is, and uh, I know they have some. Uh, Injury issues, I think getting Cam Whitmore back is going to be a big step for them. Um, But there are probably five to seven Q3 or Q4 games in the Big East in 20 games this year. And that is not something that uh, has been true in years past. So um, Xavier needs to win the shootout. I think there's a a case to be made that they need the West Virginia game as well, uh, which isn't great because West Virginia is – force and turnovers at a a top 20 level. And that's been Xavier's kind of uh, uh, biggest issue on offense. But uh, if Xavier can pinch those two games, then uh, play to level in conference when uh, maybe 12 or 13 conference games, they're going to set themselves up really well. So they, uh, you know, they're going to have to do more, just in terms of raw wins and losses in conference play this year than they might have in years past, just because there are a couple more landmines than, uh, than they're used to seeing. Um, Villanova, like you said, is way down. Providence has played not great to start the season. They might play badly enough that at home they'll be Q3. Um, Butler and DePaul have played the level we uh, expect of them, which means at home they'll probably be Q3. And then Georgetown has been abject. So, um, you know, Xavier will certainly have chances for big wins, especially uh, home and away UConn and Creighton. And then some of the uh, other games on the schedule, like you mentioned, St. John's. Marquette's doing all right. Seton Hall's doing all right. But there are uh, some extra landmines in the Big East this year, and X is going to have to pick their way through those.
1: I just wanted to mention that DePaul's three and three. But one of DePaul's losses was a close loss to a good team. Uh, So that's more like three, two, and one.
0: (laughs) Good. Thank you for that. (laughs) All right, folks. It's that time of week again. Time to cue the theme music because it's time for Xavier Player of the Week. And there it was, My Girl by the Temptations. Uh, we're going to start with you, Brad. Uh, who is your Xavier player of the... I'm not going link to in, link in the lyrics. That would be too weird. Who's your Xavier player of
1: the week? Um, I know we're running short on time, so i want to keep this succinct. It's Sule Boom. Um, He was really good in two games and then really good in half of a game against Gonzaga, whose plan was clearly to take him away. Um, he flirted with foul trouble against them, too. But against Florida and Duke, he was just excellent. He is a new Xavier point guard who really handles the pressure well at the line. He's shooting 89.7% at the line so far this year. He does a little bit of everything. He's taking care of the ball reasonably well, and he is a high-level scorer. He did that again uh, this week against Gonzaga. Once he shot himself hot in that second half, he was tough to guard. Um, And in the first half, when he wasn't shooting well, he got all over the defensive glass, which was good to see that he found a way to make himself useful. Um, I think across the three games, he was consistently the best. So my vote goes for Sule Boom. Okay, Joel, do you concur?
2: I do not. And since I know we're only running short on time because Brad has responsibilities and I don't care about him outside of what he does for me on this podcast, I'm going to read you some lines here. Um, Florida. Thanks. 11. You're welcome. Uh, Colin Castleton went for 11 and 10 with three turnovers on five of 14 shooting. Duke, Kyle Filipowski goes for 12 and four with two turnovers on four of 10 shooting. And Gonzaga, Drew Timmy goes for 16 and six with seven turnovers on seven of 15 shooting. What those guys all have in common with them is that for the bulk of the game, um, Coach Miller switched Jack Nungi onto them. And that is why, despite the fact that he played 33 minutes and only scored five points on one of three shooting against Duke, he's my player of the week. Uh, he was excellent offensively against Florida in completely sunning Colin Castleton for the second time in two meetings. And then he absolutely outplayed media darling Drew Timmy. Uh, we read Timmy's line. It wasn't great. Uh, Jack went for 25 and six with two assists and just one turnover and a block and a steal and shot. 11 to 16 and one one from the free throw line. Um, he, after the Trace Jackson Davis debacle, he seems to have developed into an excellent man-up post-defender. I think he acquitted himself well in Portland, and he played really good offense in two of the three games and uh, excellent defense against a tough stretch of opposing big men. So that's why he gets my vote.
0: Okay, um, I, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Colby Jones because I thought he was excellent this week, but my pick is Sule Boom because uh, in the game Xavier won this week, um, he is who got them going. Uh, he he, had seven real quick uh, against Florida to kind of put them uh, on their heels a bit, and, and I just thought he made the plays uh, down the stretch in, in that game that that Xavier needed to get that win. Um I thought he was really, really good against Duke and pretty much kept Xavier in that game as long as they were in it um, and against Gonzaga. Um, had he played like he did the first two games, um, they probably uh, would have won. But Gonzaga had built their, their game plan, it seemed, on taking him away. Uh, but I thought he was really, really good this week and um, really kind of showed uh, why he was so highly regarded when he came to Xavier and, um, you know, what he can do for this team moving forward. Um, so, our final quick hit, uh, we got Christmas season coming up. Should presents go under the tree as they are wrapped? When the tree goes up, Christmas Eve, or some other time? Uh, so, uh, Brad, uh, why don't you you hit us with uh, when you think presents go under the tree?
1: Um. I'm really trying to get better about not crapping on anybody's fun. So listen, whatever you want to put them under there is great with me, but how I do it is really chaotically because I'm bad at wrapping presents. I also forget that I have to wrap presents. So then I'll tend to remember and wrap like a bunch of them. And then I stick them under the tree so I don't forget. Um, And then I'll do that in like two or three efforts across December, usually ending on Christmas Eve. Um, I won't say that I've never wrapped a present on Christmas morning, (laughs) Um, cause you know, I've just like forgotten it and find it in the closet that morning or something, but, uh, yeah, I'm really scattershot with it. I know some people do like the Santa Claus Christmas Eve thing and some people put them under right away to take the cute pictures, but I have kids, so that really doesn't work. So I just kind of get them under there as I get them done. I think, you know, the, the end is just, the idea is just to have the hay in the barn by Christmas. Right. So I just get them in there by the time it start time to start wrapping them or opening them actually is what I mean
2: yeah usually you you've had presents that were wrapped for a grand total easily measured in hours before. Um, I like the Christmas Eve thing. I think it's fun for after the kids go to bed, and I work third shift. So I think it's fun for my wife to do this. but uh, you know, no no presents. Christmas Eve, then they go to bed. they're all um, non-believers in Santa Claus, but it's still. I wake them up when I get home from work and I'm like, Oh guys, Santa came, look at all the presents. And they're like, Santa's not real, but we'll take it because we like presents. And uh, plus between four kids and two cats, it, there's just a lot less chances for attrition. God forbid somebody hits a uh, a Christmas present with a lightsaber or an errant football or something and destroys it before it had its time to shine. So Christmas Eve is the the way to go in my mind, but I'm just going to, second the newly open-minded brad and say that whenever you get them under there um, however you celebrate the festive season have a blast
0: yeah um i don't rent presents i'm a gift bagger um i realize that's the lazy man's way out um and i'm here to tell you i'm a lazy man so uh, <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know what you thought you would win by getting me to admit that but there it is um uh, <laughs> <laughs> when i was a kid it was cool like our mom would wrap presents and as she wrapped them she would put them under the tree um so you could kind of see the area around the tree filling up um and then our dad would wrap the present he got our mom uh, on christmas eve <laughs> <laughs> because that's probably when he bought it um but yeah i think uh i i think however you want to do it um you know especially for the kids it's it's such an exciting time of year However you build that excitement for them so that they um, you know enjoy it um, is is the best way. So uh, anyway, that's it for us. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you guys all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with friends and family, and uh, everybody is uh, back safely on the grind until we uh, we all get to uh, eat ourselves uncomfortable for Christmas. So uh, we will uh, catch you guys next week as uh, Xavier is back in action.